Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Addictive Pod. It's Adrian, your host, and today I'm joined by yet another podcast host. I just love collecting them all. It is Sarah, the host of Sober Gratitudes, who joins me today to talk about how she recovered from alcoholism, and more importantly, how she became emotionally sober eight years into sobriety, and what the difference is between that, between being sober just from alcohol and actually feeling that sense of relief of being emotionally sober, being happy, joyous, free. You're going to find out all of that on today's episode, so I hope you enjoy it. Here's me and Sarah. Sarah, welcome to the Addictive Pod. It is so good to meet you. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I, um, I'm a big fan of your friends. I've met a lot of your friends, Clay, Mackenzie, Hillary, um, and you come highly recommended by them all. So I'm so happy to meet you. I'm really excited to hear your story. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I'm excited to be on this podcast. It's amazing. I know that you drank for a pretty long period of time. I think it was 25 years um, and it was sort of slowly growing over that time. I'm really curious though, before the drinking started um, and you started at a pretty young age, what was your life like and what was your sort of mental health like before you took that first drink? Before I took, well, before I had my first drunk, I was 14. And before then I just was, I was a very um, insecure, nervous, um, uh, scared kind of were, I was very worried about things a lot. Um, I would have like these mini, what I know now is like mini panic attacks. So what I was experiencing was, I think, most likely clinical undiagnosed depression and anxiety. But the um, my upbringing was, um, you know, by anyone who looked from the outside, everything looked fine. But, you know, behind closed doors, there um, there was tension and, and anger and um, anxiety and defensiveness and some narcissism that was occurring in my household and um all of this i couldn't really see until i got sober and uh i watched my older brother turn to alcohol um, and my parents would go away and he would drink alcohol and tell me to keep it a secret Mm. um there um I, there was, um, abuse that I, uh, that I experienced, um, at the hands of my older brother and it was sexual in nature. And, um, that again, all these things, I just didn't know this was not normal, but my body, the way in my, in my mind and just how I went about living, you know, I was doing things in response. It was like anxiety response to things. And like, I did the best I could to cope so I could kind of find comfort in my skin. And so I did actually use food before I drank alcohol as a way. Yeah. So that kind of came first before the alcohol. So um, I would seek out like lots of sugar and (laughs) I like to to eat a lot of sugar. Um, and then at 14, I was, you know, with some friends and it was at a house of somebody at a party and older brother brought back um, a lot of beer. And that was my first drunk. And that's when 
I decided that the, this is how I was going to live my life. Like on a deep level, I just mm. knew that and even though I got very sick, um, I wasn't thinking, oh, I don't want to do this again, which um, can be an, a normal response, I guess, like for people that get sick and be like, I don't want to do this again. But I really just I didn't care that I got sick. I just I just kept thinking about how numbed out I felt when I was buzz, buzzed and then eventually drunk. And um, that was really the the moment that that night, I just knew that the rest of my life, I was, of course, alcohol would be involved in everything mm -hmm. I did. So um, I was able to really show the world that I was kind of normal. Um, people close to me, I think, knew that I was more uh, sensitive. Um, I cried a lot. You know, I was, I did have panic issues and um, none of this was was addressed, um, but I did have my alcohol and, and I would also seek out relationships with men who drank, drank and also I would manipulate them. Um, like I would use my sex powers to, to really lure them in and put me up on this pedestal and love me and be just like obsessed with me because I felt so lonely and unloved. And that, so I just sought that out. I, I sought comfort in men and food and, and alcohol. And um, so that's how I lived most of my life um, until I, <laughs> alcohol turned against me and really I had no more power over it anymore at the age of 39. That's a that's a dangerous trio. And I think it's also a trio that most people use kind of subconsciously without thinking it's a problem, right? Yeah. Food, alcohol, sex, those are the those are the most acceptable uh, addictions, let's say, at least by our society. Those are just that's what people love. That's what people use to feel okay and to um, they look forward to it and they may maybe even obsess over it and and talk about it all the time. But um, yeah. but for you it was it, it it started to become, it sounds like, um, with alcohol, much more damaging. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Like how, how did alcohol start to uh, cause some consequences or, or um, how did it progress from there? Like um, you said earlier, I did drink from the age of 14 till 39 and it was, uh, it was, you know, up and down things. So I went through periods where I did drink very heavily and then I would kind of stop or cool cool the jets for a bit. Um, and so that's, that's why I think I felt like I had more control over my drinking, like I could go to work or, or go to classes and, and, and then just be able to wait to drink, um, you know, on the weekends, and it just progressed over time, like it became, you know, a part of my, it was like something like I had my life, and I did things that I knew I was supposed to do, like, get good grades and um do sports and music which I, I did love to do and and then and and if alcohol was there great you know and that made it even better and I wasn't so irritable if it you know when it was absent in an activity I just I was crabby I kind of was just like irritable and I think that's probably I was probably crabby and irritable because I didn't really realize it it's because alcohol wasn't involved. So I just kept seeking out activities or people or social situations that would always involve alcohol. And in college, I um, 
it's amazing to me. Like I graduated, I went to a, a very good liberal arts school and I did fairly well. And it's kind of hard to believe because, so, so I guess I was a functioning alcoholic, if you will, but I was still, still having, like, I was having panic attacks. I was, um, I would cry a lot. Like I was, there was so much drama in my life and, you know, I felt like a victim all the time and it, uh, and there were consequences to answer your question. Like I did have, um, things that I had to make some difficult choices in my life as a result of just being, you know, taking risks and not being careful. And, um, I dodged a lot of bullets. Um, I feel like that my higher power was really watching out for me before I even Mm. believed in God and, and thought that, you know, that I was meant to live on this earth and I was really being saved over and over and over again throughout the course of my life. Um, and, so yeah there was a lot of i never had like duis but i did okay. drunk drive a lot <laughs> i did a lot of drunk so driving. something could have happened for sure yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely and the risk i took risk taking you know as as i got older you know i got married at 28 and um you know the the risk taking changed you know and and so and the you know not really caring about consequences just thinking about myself and thinking about getting drunk and, you know, how am I going to get my drink? And, and then by the time I was, you know, when I got married, we got, we started having children very quickly. And I had three children between the ages of 30 and 35. And so there was a lot of stops and starts, you know, like I went through this period of, you know, being pregnant and then nursing. And And you were able to stay sober through those periods. I, I was actually. That's good. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Although I did learn at some point, I'm not sure when, that, oh, it's okay to have a glass of red wine in your third trimester or right after you've nursed your, or while you're nursing your child, you can have a glass of red wine or right after, because then by the time you nurse again, it's not getting into, excuse me, into the baby. But, you know, I did kind of, um, push the the limit a little bit sometimes with regards to that. I know there was a couple, one time I did, I was, I got really drunk while I was still nursing one of my children and I came home and I, like I had to nurse him because I was not to be gross, but I was, I was, um, yeah, I got you. <laughs> I was ready to nurse, yeah. <laughs> you know, like my boobs were like, it's time, you know? And so, um, instead of, pumping and dumping which i should have done i just you know nursed and then but that i think that was just one time and i i I beat myself up for a long time over that and then realized that that was wasted time beating myself up and um so and then when my children were after we were done having all three and my last son you know he was allergic to my milk so i i was actually excited like i'm like yeah yeah i don't you know i didn't tell anyone like you were off the hook basically yeah, yeah yeah um again about it's about me you know like oh okay he's allergic i wasn't like hmm like i was perplexing that why is he having these hives and why is he you know why is he going to the hospital at 12 weeks old and why is he having these asthma like yes i cared about that but i was also like thank god i can drink to deal with this 
how were you dealing with the stress when, when you were pregnant and when you when you were staying sober for the fir- uh, for three times, I guess, like three nine month periods, at least probably more like year long periods. How were you coping with the, the anxiety, the underlying trauma? What were what were your coping mechanisms? Oh, God, um, probably food. But I was also like it was a struggle for me because I was so worried about how the baby was developing through each pregnancy because you know as soon as i got pregnant you you hear from the doctor don't eat this eat that don't don't do too much of this and then and and my mom said to me once she was like dang she's like you know when i got pregnant we just got pregnant and had the kid you know we didn't hear about and she would like had resentments towards you know the doctors who put they didn't put fear like i was responding with so much anxiety and fear that you know i i don't know how I I got through it without any coping um, mechanisms that I had before. Um, I I was definitely probably you know, would have to ask my husband and my close friends. I don't think I was pleasant to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a long it was a long time ago. You know, my first child. You know, my oldest is almost nineteen, so it's been some time. But um, it felt like forever getting through the pregnancies and then nursing. But um, I think, you know what? I felt such, this this will answer your question, I guess. The love I felt towards my oldest when he was born, like the moment I saw him was a love I had never experienced before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably what saved me from like needing to drink and needing to overeat or um i just was so in love with my son and it was a love that's so profound that i think it was enough to really distract me from Mm. the drinking um then i knew immediately that i wanted to have another child the moment my oldest was born because a lot again it's like the love i felt was just so incredible oh that's profound yeah um i don't really really thought about it but no one's ever asked me the question you asked about like how i dealt with how i coped with things during my pregnancies and this is really the first time it's really interesting that i'm because i never really thought about how i got through the the pregnancies and the nursing times when I couldn't drink and and it you know love was an addiction before that but this was addiction that was different this is different yeah yeah it it, this was a love that was so pure and um I just wanted to have another child I wanted to put love into the world and 9-11 had just occurred we my husband and I got married a month after 9-11 so it's like I just wanted to put love into the world. Oh my God, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I, and I remember sharing that with my, my husband and saying that like, that what, like our, our wedding was a ton of fun. Like we, everyone had so much fun. There was a lot of accidents and over drinking that occurred Yikes. like on the dance floor and bloody noses and people who fell asleep in trucks, you know, <laughs> outside of the hotel, like just like funny stories that everyone like still tells to this day. And I did have a lot of fun, but you know, I started drinking at 10 AM 
on my wedding day because I didn't have any medication for my anxiety or depression. So, and I'd had frequent panic attacks. I know I'm kind of going backwards right now, but just to, you know, that like to cope with the stress anxiety of getting married, I had, right. I had my, I had my alcohol, but I needed smelling salts the day I got married because I thought I was going to pass out and um, just really just so pan like my life was just filled with panic attacks. So by the time I had, you know, going back to having children, yeah, it was love, the love for my sons um, really saved me. Wow. And, and then by the time I had, it was my kind of that, that day that you can call it rock bottom or whatever. It was the, the moment that I realized that alcohol was controlling me and I had no control over alcohol anymore. It, that morning, um, I asked my, one of the first questions I, I asked myself was like, what am I doing to my children? Hmm. And so I feel like in a way, like, getting like a little like for clumped here but um in a way i feel like before i loved myself you know i the love i have for my children was never in question like and so in a way they the love for them really saved me mm. um from killing myself wow i was not expecting that answer at all <laughs> when i asked that i Neither think i I, it was just a genuine curiosity because to go through something so stressful, right? It's like you have more stress than you had and you ever had in your life. And they took away your main coping mechanism, which was alcohol. So it just, I really am I'm curious about that. And, and I'm also just in awe of, of mothers everywhere. I mean, my, my own mother ha having, uh, I have lots of siblings. Um, and then the women that I've had on this show who, um, just go through so much. And then on top of everything, go through a pregnancy and go through all the difficulties that come with that. And, um, quite a few of them got sober around this time where they see another human being and they feel that, um, sense of, oh my gosh, like there's, there's another more important life here. There's another person and, and it brings them out of themselves. So, is, is that what happened with you or did it take a few more years? Did it take much longer to actually enter that state of saying, okay, I need to sort of turn my life around. I need to quit this thing. Yeah. Um, it, it did. It, it took about, um, three and a half years after my youngest son was born. Uh, is that's when I had what I referred to. And I, I have a podcast episode on my, my podcast just on this dream that I had. I call it my rock bottom dream. Wow. And I um, dreamt uh, that I was being drowned in a vat of liquid. Like people were deliberately like I was in, it was like an elevator and it was being brought down, like it was being submerged. And I just looked down and there was like a pool of water at my feet. And then I just kept watching it, go, it was liquid, you know, and, and it, I thought it was water and it was just coming up and up and up and up and up. And I was like looking up at all the people like just watching me getting going under and I woke up and I was gasping for air. And so I was literally wow. holding my sleep in my dream. I mean, talk about visceral and yeah. talk about like a slap in the face. Like this is like God, like, push, like he gave me so many <laughs> seeds, like planted seeds in my life. Right. You know, like, no, like, God, this is not good for you. This is not going to like, so, you know, you are drowning. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what, I mean, it could not have been more literal. And I 
you know, I referred to it earlier. Like I laid there like, holy shit. Can I swear on this? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Like I, I was so hungover and you know, my head was pounding and I, and I wanted to cry because I immediately knew what this, this dream meant. And I was just so completely deflated and deflated. And I, and I knew that I, I get emotional sometimes when I talk about this, this particular morning, because it was, it was the morning that I surrendered and I knew I could not control my drinking that mm. as much as I wanted to, like, I'm like, I can't, how can I live life without alcohol? You know, like, how can I do this? Like, and being so afraid, I was so scared, but as um, I lay there and I, and I heard my son, call my, my youngest son, he was still in bed and I heard him call for me just in his sing-songy voice. And um, and I went into his room and I laid down next to him and that's when I, I looked into his eyes and, um, hi mommy, that's what he said. And um, I, I just, that's when I, the question, the question in my mind is what am I doing to my children? Like, I, I can't do this. And then suddenly this thought popped into, it was a, it was a thought that was not my thought that popped into my head. It's like Google local AA meetings. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> never, never had I ever woken up in the morning with a hangover with a thought like that. It was always like, oh, I got to start drinking my water. Like let's throw up, you know, let's just, I got to get through the day. What was and, your view on AA at the time? Like, did you know anybody who had gone to AA or did you have any view about it? Um, I didn't know much about it. Although what I did, what my impression was, what I thought about AA was kind of like, that's where people go who, who really um, can't, uh, like where, where it's like all or nothing. Cause like, um, and so it was, I couldn't, I knew I it was all or nothing for me. And so I felt like AA was the, the nothing. Mm. But so, so when I, that popped into my head, I was equally like relieved. Like I felt like, like this sense of like, okay, I don't have to fight this battle anymore, but I was equally scared because I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to let go of alcohol. Mm -hmm. But then there was a big part of me that that really was because like the lot, it was like the last two years and then like one year and then the last four months, like I was daily drinking daily, like it was impacting my liver, you know, pictures of me, you can oh see that like I was drinking so much that I don't know. I was drunk driving with my kids in the car, drinking mm. alcohol out of their sippy cups in broad daylight, you know, um, drinking earlier and earlier and earlier in the day. And, and so that's why I first thought like, what am I doing to my children came into my mind. And, um, but so AA, I don't know, like, I just knew it as a place. It was kind of like a negative thing too. Like the, the bad people go, the ones right, who are really right. Now and homeless guys, the people who were in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Like just, and, and not like, like I thought I was unique. Like I thought I, there was nobody else like me who had this, mm. this, this kind of like uncontrollable 
relation, like this torrid relationship with alcohol and, and, but so, so I, I went and. Yeah. What was that first meeting like? Yeah. Like, what was that first experience? The first encounter? Um, tell me about that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was incredible. I mean, it was, like I said, in the morning, I felt like just a relief with a thought, with that thought of like Googling local AA meetings. And I went and I'm like, okay, I Googled it, a local AA meeting, any meetings today? Oh, there's one at eight o'clock tonight. Okay, I'll go to that one. And it's in the same town that I live in. So nobody would go who lives in the same town, right? Because what shame, shame to like, you know, like, I'm sure everyone might see me. Yeah. 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 Or like all the people who are in Chatham who are alcoholics probably go like an hour away to a meeting. So I'm like, so yeah, so this will be good. I'll go and there'll be people from like other towns and they don't know me. Well, I go and there's somebody who graduated from high school in that meeting. And he That's was like, funny. oh my gosh, Sarah. And then he, he, he was like, Sarah, so good to see you. And he, he was so happy. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, how, why are these people happy, happy? Like, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. And, and I was just a puddle, like a, a mess. And, and so the, the people that were there, they were, they knew like, cause you know, right. Like, you know, somebody it's their first day or like first week or something, you can tell they're, they're struggling. And somebody said, is this your first meeting? And I said, yes. And so I was, and then I walked in and everyone around the room said, I'm an app, you know, I'm a, alcoholic, alcoholic, and it got to me. And I almost didn't say it. But I just something like just like, like, pushed it out of me. Hmm. And I said it. And I was like, my life is going to be it's, it's going to suck. Like it's going to be. I don't know what it's going to be. But it has to be better than how it has been. Something somebody has to like, you know, slap this slap me around and like, help me to get control of things and i was welcomed with love you know i was welcomed mm. with, with love and compassion and no judgment and it just being met with such love like the something that i had longed to like have for myself like love for self-love <clears throat> and uh and to be loved was was like like that was unbelievable um and i had somebody who just was on top of me like white on rice every day like encouraging mm. me to go to meetings so that's awesome yeah and i had died too yeah i had just two one day slips within the first four months so my actual like my last drunk was august 19th 2012 um but in may of 2012 is when i surrendered to the program that's incredible i think a lot of people have a bad first impression of AA. They're introduced to it for the wrong reasons. Maybe they were sent there um, by a partner or by the courts. And for you to have that thought come up and then just go there and and sort of you you kind of took that step one even before you walked in. You kind of admitted that yes. you you couldn't handle it. You needed to you needed help. Um, and you mentioned something earlier about control about like control over your life, giving up that control. And I think that's, that's got to be the hardest part of the program, at least in my experience, like the step three, turning over your will, turning over your life. Um, can you walk me through that process a little bit? What that was like for you? Was it easy because you had already kind of given up that control? Or was that a longer process that took 
a lot of work to surrender that. Yeah, it was a really long process. It was a really, really long process. I, I held on to my will in the first almost eight years of my sobriety. Wow. Okay. As long as I could, and I, I two different. Now I feel less. Separate... Now I feel less shameful about having a hard time with this. No, no, I feel no, like no, I no. still I... can't give it up. I'm still holding <laughs> on to it. I've been in recovery for uh, four years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's um. I, I beat myself up like when I when I finally did the 12 steps in the big book um, as it's exactly as it's laid out. No bells and whistles. I didn't. I was I think at a different. I was at a spiritual bottom. I was like at a emotional mental health bottom by then and I didn't realize it. Um, so so for the years leading up to it, I was a good AAer. You know, I went to meetings. I, tr- I didn't know why I would get sponsees and they would just drop off the face of the earth. Like, I I didn't know why I couldn't like hold on to a sponsee. And I, but I did service work. I went to speaker meetings and I spoke at speaker speaker meetings. I spoke at Al-Anon meetings. Like I, I was talking about just like because I did. I felt I I felt so much better in so many ways and um my life was getting better and i was learning a lot in the meetings um you know i, I love the literature meetings even though my sponsor never brought me through the big book it was a 12 and 12 and then then i it kind of i just kind of took my will back and because nothing she did wrong you know like mm-hmm. that's how she took her sponsees through the the steps and um, through the 12 and 12. And so I just, I would be a good AA or, and then I'd kind of like take my will back and not, you know, I would stop going to meetings for a while. And then I'd wonder why I was, you know, feeling awful. And I would be, or thinking about like, I wish I could drink, you know, this sucks that I'm an alcoholic, you know, and, um, I didn't realize that, (laughs) that I could, that the the solution was right there in the book in Mm. terms of being having the obsession be removed and because of step three because of you know giving my will entirely over entirely over to god and and entirely my my life entirely over to god and and that's when i really learned to trust god too and so um i i'm grateful for covid because i wouldn't have felt yes i mean not I mean, for reasons, for obvious reasons, I'm not grateful for COVID, but COVID offered me Zoom meetings Mm -hmm. and I was introduced to people all over the world and to who and people uh, I had started doing my podcast at that time because I had been really seeking something more. and I didn't know what I was seeking Mm -hmm. and what I was seeking was God. And I didn't even realize it. Like, I just felt like I, I still kind of had something I wasn't quite. I wasn't quite filled up like and I was still like irritable and discontent and I didn't feel like the peace that I feel now. So it's like I knew intuitively I knew there was something I that I needed to seek more of and I was becoming right before COVID. I, there was this one guy in in my home group who was all about the big book and I'm like, oh, he's a big book thumper, you know, and but I was also equally intrigued. I'm like, I want to know more about the the big book. And so I would talk with him after meetings and ask him questions about the big book. And um but I couldn't find anyone to bring me through the big book. And he wouldn't cuz he was a big like men with a men when Oh, yeah. Women. And and so so then 
I started my podcast thinking that, okay, this, this will kind of fill, you know, maybe like I'm doing more service, you know, like I'm having people on who could share their stories and reaching more people. Like I can, but I was still like, like there was things like those character defects were still in full force. And, and, but, I, and I still like blamed my, my character defects on my alcoholism. Mm. <laughs> I did. It wasn't because I was a human. Oh, I'm an alcoholic. That's why I'm being lazy right now, you know, and, mm. and, uh, playing that, you know, tape over and over. And then, so zoom, um, I was introduced to somebody who, uh, invite, told me about a meeting that he was starting and I started going to that meeting and I realized I was learning about the big book in that meeting. And then a workshop started to, that brought me through the 12 and, um, the 12 steps. Was this with Clay? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I, my life, I had an incredible psychic change. Um, and I, it was one month before my eight years in AA and I finally realized that I'm not the center of the world, <laughs> of the universe, you know, that's not yeah. all about me, you know, and like l- l- learning that like above all else, you know, we must be rid of selfishness or it mm. kills us. And I learned that there is a solution that I can trust God and I can say, God, please remove this fear and d- turn my attention to where I can be useful. Mm. And since then, like, even since then, though, I've had some growing pains. Um, so in a way, I feel like July of 2020, I went through the, the 12 steps exactly as they're laid out, had an incredible psychic change. And so I kind of feel like um, that's when I got sober <laughs> in a way. Um, not <sighs> maybe, maybe like a psychologically sober or emotionally yeah. sober, at least, right? The, the, the yeah. kind of deeper deeper transformation. Yeah. Even though I was kind of having some spiritual experiences beforehand, Mm. I think it was still God working in my life where I didn't really know how to, to, um, to go about doing things. Like I, I was gifted like another incredible dream around three and a half, four years sober that, um, was in, I had this incredible, I felt like this is a spiritual awakening and it was, um, so I went through experiences that that really helped me to continue to stay sober. Hmm. Um, and I had uh, I had a home group. I had, you know, um, relationships with people who um, who I you, they were my network, you know, they were my people. and and so then when I finally did, you know the the when I did the workshop and had that, I, I had no idea that it was all about step three, you know. Hmm. I had no idea. And now that I do, it's like, that's been kind of the launching pad that where I've been continuing to kind of heal. Cause you know, if you think about it, I did, so I did that when I was, I'm 49 now. So I was like 47 when I did the 12 steps. So, so all those years prior to turning 47, I'm, I'm, I'm living kind of a selfish life, right? I'm still kind of living that life. And so and all of these things that like, I was like, I'm a victim, so I deserve, you know, mm. this and, you know, um, poor me, self, self-pity was a huge character defect of mine. And so I had some bumps and I've, and I've had amends that I've had to make in the past two years because like, 
I'm human and I fucked mm-hmm. up and, and, but I'm so grateful that like, that's a part of the solution. That's a part of like how we continue to heal and, and grow. And I had to seek, I had to reach out and, you know, my sponsor moved away um, here in New Jersey. So I, I sought out another sponsor and I had to, I had to kind of do the steps um, with her in a way to kind of shake out the, like the residuals that I really didn't get to the first time around that I didn't, I wasn't aware of because there was so much shit, Mm. so much shit from my past that, and, and I anticipate that like, I'll just continue to like, I don't, I, I feel like, I feel that um, the way I live my life today, the way I feel today is like unbelievable. It's like, I feel so peaceful. I don't, the, I don't fall into fear like I used to. I don't fall into these states of like morbid reflection anymore. Um, and it just, um, this this way of doing the steps, is, it, it just, it's sustainable. It, it, it It's not a pink cloud, it just, continues and i know that i just have to keep giving it away i have to work with others i have i think that's amazing i mean so many people myself included covid and the zoom meetings were a huge blow right like losing that in person losing yeah. that fellowship because i used to like the meeting after the meeting was one of my favorite things right just going for breakfast with people being able to connect and more individually and Going on to Zoom, it honestly, I think you had a much better attitude towards that, where it became an opportunity to find other meetings and to find other people. And I I wish that I'd had that same attitude um, because mine was more, oh, this sucks. I'm just going to not do the Zoom meetings. (laughs) Um, And I think it's also amazing how you differentiate working the steps and uh, like really living the steps versus being in AA, right? And right. those are those can be a two, those can be two entirely different experiences. You can have eight years of being in AA, but not really living the steps or not really um following the big book as it's outlined. And what do you think, like on a daily basis today, because you say that this is sort of sustainable, this is a, a way of life. What do you do today in practical uh actions that are so different than what you did for the first eight years? Uh, well, I wake up every morning and I, I turn my will over the moment I wake up, you know, that, um, that I, I thank God for waking me up, giving me the gift of another day. And also I, I ask where I can be of, of service where I have, and I trust God's will for me. So, um, and I feel it in my gut and, and we're told in the big book to, you know, God gave us brains to use, you know, we, and also to trust our gut, you know, to, Mm. so right now I'll just talk about what my life is today. Like today is I feel this, um, such a strong pull towards my husband and my children. Um, I worked so much, so many years on myself, you know, I did therapy and I was, and and working in the program and working this stuff. And then now I'm at this place where I feel like, you know, the program is, is activated in this home. Hmm. Like, so like that, it's like, I can feel God in my home. And I know 
my husband can and my children can as well this this sense of safety and peace and love um and it's really it you know my husband and i just celebrated 20 years of marriage and wow we statistically we should be divorced because of the special needs children and because of the fact that i am an alcoholic um but we beat the odds and so i get to live this program i get to be of service to others and and choose things to do in my life that are not thinking about what i can get it's more Mm. of like what i can give what i can give and and that's happening in like my new my new like endeavor uh, professionally um and that is rolled up into the whole like being of service to others so i feel like that that way of life i just i feel so comfortable living in god's will because all i feel is love and peace and freedom and serenity and so that things happen are happening in my life that reflect that. So mm-hmm. I get to kind of live my authentic, my authentic self, I, the way that I was born to live. And I'm, and I have the confidence to back it up. I have the, you know, I, I resist the, the humility, you know, like the, and the, also the, the intent and the integrity and also being um, not afraid to just be me, that sensitive soul that I've always Mm -hmm. been. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't lose control of my emotions anymore. Like I really have like, yeah, I uh, mean, you made it through this whole (laughs) podcast without crying, which is, I mean, considering the topics that you are bringing up and the, the, the places that we're going, it is, yeah. I mean, you are in control of your emotions, which is, uh, which is an amazing thing, but you still feel them. You're not suppressing them. It's like, you're still in touch with your emotions, but they don't control you. No. And, and also too, like I used to beat myself up. I'm like, Oh, here I go crying again. Oh, there's the depression kicking. But I've, I've learned. And, and this is because of the people that you've mentioned, um, you know, who I love dearly. Um, and, and they have taught me so much in terms of like, you can have, like, I have depression. Yes. But then I can also just be sad, mm. you know, and, and there's a difference. Like I used to think, Oh, I'm sad. So like, I kind of fall into this hole you know and now now it's like i welcome if sadness comes i welcome it as as needing to be there and i know you know somebody so beautiful and lovely and wise and so god-centered herself taught me you know like keep the front and back door open of your home and envision like sadness as an animal like our color just kind of like flowing through the home and Mm. coming in and out and then and if and and let it be with you let it sit with you until it no longer needs to sit with you anymore Mm -hmm. and just and not beating myself up not saying oh you know you're too sensitive you know oh you're a drama queen no i just i'm experiencing legitimate sadness yeah and so forgiving myself of that like like accepting that as a part of me and loving that part of me actually like decreases the amount of time that i spend being sad That's, and, that's beautiful. Yeah. And, and so, um, and I don't, I don't like have like these crazy, like highs and, and lows, um, anymore. It's just, um, I just feel very grounded and centered and it's, and it's really all as a result of doing those 12 steps. 
and I just can't wait to live the rest of my life. Like I, and, and so now I'm living, like I, I take better care of myself the way I eat yeah. and, and exercising. My husband and I are like totally aligned and we're so into like, and my, my business is all health and wellness. So it's like taking care of my body. Like, like my heart, like I want my heart to be healthy. You know, I, I want my whole body to be healthy. I want to have good blood work. So I'm going to put non GMOs into my body because I want mm. to live. I want to live a long life and see my children grow up. And I want to live a long life experiencing sobriety because I lived almost the entire first half of my life sick in my disease of alcoholism and addiction, you know, and, and, um, spiritual sickness. So now, now I get the second chance and every day I'm, I, I'm grateful. Like I, I find gratitude in everything and, um, and it's, it's just a wonderful way to live. It's much more comfortable living this way. It seems like it. It really does. You're a huge inspiration to me. And I think that you inspire so many people like sober gratitudes that the whole idea behind your podcast and what you do is just such a beautiful testament to what the 12 steps is about and what recovery is about. And I'm really grateful speaking of gratitudes for you (laughs) for coming on the show and sharing your story. Um, I hope that we can do something like this again. And um, I really, I really wish you the best on the rest of your journey. Like you said, it's just, it's this, uh, how free do you want to be, right? It's this limitless uh, experience, this limitless opportunity for, for the joy that, that you and I have just had a little taste of. Maybe you've had a bigger taste than me, probably. (laughs) Well, I don't know, you know, but you like what you're doing again, like, right back at you like you're doing incredible service and the fact that you've had the experience doing the 12 steps at such a young age and you get to live this kind of life that's just gonna just you know i'm excited for you like i hope we stay in touch because i want to see like this young like when you pop when you when i first saw you i was like oh my gosh she's like younger than my son you you don't look a day over 35 i don't know what you're talking about Well, you, I also do. Have, you have the young energy of being like newly sober in a way like newly um I don't know what, what's the word emotionally sober yeah let's go with that it is like I just I'm not weighted down by like past you know mistakes or and I'm not weighted down by like worrying about making up stories about my future that are bad you know like I I just really live each day each moment in the moment and you know this is a gift to me to be sitting in with you this young man who um you have experienced you know you have experienced something that is is like gold hmm. you know and and um i'm excited i'm so excited for you like i said for you to experience life like this and you, you have hmm. a long life ahead of you and and it, you. you'll you know you'll perhaps avoid a lot of the conflict and collision, you know, that I did as I continued through like my, you know, twenties and my thirties and and early forties, you know, it's a lot to unravel, you know? So, um, so I, I wish you all the best as well with your endeavors here with the podcast and your, anything you do in life and you, I can, Sent, I can just feel that the, in your face too, like that sunlight of the spirit just shining off of your face. It's really wonderful to see. Thank you, Sarah. Enjoy the rest of your day and let's 100% stay in touch. Let's definitely do another episode. I'm so grateful to meet you. Likewise.
Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Addictive Pod. It would mean a lot to me if you would give it a follow on whatever listening platform you use and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to grow the audience. If you enjoyed hearing Sarah's story, if you enjoy the, the calming sound of her voice, be sure to check out her podcast. It is Sober Gratitudes Podcast. And over there, you can find a lot of content. She comes out with, I think, two or three episodes a week, sharing little doses of hope, doses of joy. And if you need a way to kickstart your day, um, to keep a good attitude during recovery, I really recommend checking out her podcast. My Instagram is at Addictive Podcast. You can follow me there to stay up to date with the show. And new episodes are coming out every week. So until next Wednesday, remember, we recover together. <laughs>